0: to go upstairs in the youth room and the rest of us we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians we will be in chapter 2 uncover verses 4 through 10 and if you need a Bible just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible but the second chapter of the book of Ephesians we looked at the first five verses we're going to kind of back up a little bit start reading in verse 4 and cover through verse 10 very rich portion of scripture here this morning Ephesians chapter 2, as you recall that when we opened up Ephesians 2 last week, that the Apostle Paul, in prison, writing this letter to the Christians at Ephesus, he explained to them and to us very powerfully and very plainly that before we came to Christ in faith uh, that we were dead. That is, we were spiritually dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. We were very much alive physically walking according to the course of the world, as he writes. Uh, In other words, we were meandering, is what that means, after the winds of the world being blown about by the prince of the power of the air, Satan. We were ones, before we came to Christ, that we also lived after the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And by nature, we were children of wrath. So Paul telling us very straightforwardly the condition of all of us spiritually apart from Jesus Christ. And we were dead, but, as we saw in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, Father, I do pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. That, Lord, as we covered these portions of scripture, that we would be firmly established in the gospel that that we would be established in the fact that you have rescued us, that you have saved us, that, Lord, it's not of ourselves. And, Lord, but also to understand this, that we were created so that we could do good works. So, Father, I do pray that we would have a clear understanding this morning. Help us remember we need to have our cell phones turned off or on silent. We want to be settled in our seats. We want to have our ears open to hear from you as we read your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, as you recall, that last week we talked about how God has rescued us. He has made us alive because of His great mercy and love uh, that has been demonstrated to us, proved to us through Jesus Christ who went to the cross to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins because of sin, the wages of sin is death. It separated us from God. We were spiritually dead, as I mentioned and as we saw last week in our text. So we now have that that forgiveness of sin. We're born again as we come in faith. We're a new creation. A regeneration takes place. And as we continue here in Ephesians 2, verse 6, not only did he rescue us, not only has he saved us, and, and we're a new creature in Christ, But also we're raised up together, Uh, he has raised us up together, as verse 6 states, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So first we have been made alive by the Lord, and also we have been lifted up by the Lord. We are raised up together. I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Spiritually, as believers, we are positioned in the heavenlies. No longer that is a citizen of the world, but of heaven. Now, presently, obviously, we don't sit in the heavenly places with Christ, but notice here in verse 6 that the apostle writes, we sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. It reminds me of this, John chapter 11, most of you know the story, how it was Jesus that was told to to go to the town of Bethany because Lazarus was sick, and by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had been in the grave already about four days, and and and. Lazarus sisters Mary and Martha we know that Martha came to Jesus and said if you'd only been here Lord my brother would have lived and Jesus said to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life and he who believes in me though he shall die he shall live do you believe that Martha and she said I do and it was Jesus that would cry out to that tomb that Lazarus laid in he cried out Lazarus come forth and Lazarus came forth and it was an incredible miracle raising the dead Lazarus coming forth and then what is interesting as Lazarus was made alive he was dead he, he's alive in chapter 12 you see them in the house Mary and Martha and Martha's cooking and, and, and there's Jesus at the table and it tells us that Lazarus was there <coughs> sitting with him and people were coming and they were looking in and it says not only were they looking you know, and listening to Jesus but they were also there because of Lazarus Can you imagine the people that that are looking in that house saying, he was dead. He was in that tomb for a few days. Uh, His body was rotting. And he came forth and now he's sitting with Jesus, with Christ, there at the table and talking and laughing and listening to Christ. You see, it's all a picture of what Christ has done for us. We were dead spiritually, but he made himself known to me, has given life to me. I'm born again, and now I sit with Christ as I fellowship with him, as I worship him, as I know him, have relationship with him, and I talk with him. And a day is going to come when we will be seated with Christ in heaven. Remember that in Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus was writing that letter to the church at Laodicea, Jesus gave a promise to those who overcome. It was a promise to all of the churches, those who overcome. And Jesus gave a promise. Now, uh, what is an overcomer? Who is an overcomer? Well, we have that definition given to us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, that he is one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the definition of an overcomer. And that promise given to you and I as believers that Jesus says, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. That's a glorious promise. So he has saved us. He has made us alive. He has lifted us up together into the heavenlies. And as we continue in Ephesians 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There are those who are going to look at you and look at me In the ages to come, and marvel at the wonderful grace of God, that God loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that word show here in the Greek means to display. In other words, you and I are, are trophies of his grace. His creation, all the angels will marvel at God's grace towards us, His kindness for us, all through Jesus Christ. And we will spend eternity marveling at His grace and kindness towards us as we will be dwelling with God in the eternal kingdom, as the Apostle writes, in the ages to come. Remember the prayer of Paul the Apostle in chapter one, it was a powerful prayer. And Paul says that you may know, this is my prayer, that you may understand, your eyes being enlightened, you come to the understanding, what is the hope of your calling? That is heaven. That is the hope of our calling, certainty that we are going to go home to be with Him, to, to be with the Lord for all eternity, those of us who are in Christ. And I think that it is just good to take time and ponder in our lives how that we are going to be in heaven with him for all eternity. And and to, to marvel at that and to realize that's our future by his grace and by his love and by his provision. It would be the psalmist that would write, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is God's mercy towards us who fear him. So wonder Paul writes in verse 4 of this chapter that God is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. It is great and all throughout eternity, God's grace and mercy and love is going to be continued to be revealed and shown to us in all creation. All of heaven is going to marvel at his incredible grace for eternity. The goodness of God is so wonderful. So as we've gone through this chapter so far, we have seen in verses 1 through 3, sin worked against us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Then, verses 4 through 7, God worked for us. He rescued us because of his love for us. He has made us alive. He has lifted us up to sit with him in the heavenly places And we will experience his grace and mercy for all eternity. So God worked for us, such a wonderful truth. And now verses 8 through 10, God works in us. Let's begin to look at that, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace. The the unearned favor of God through faith. And that not of yourselves. Uh, What not of yourselves? Your salvation. It is a gift. His grace, His salvation. We can't take credit for our salvation. It's not of ourselves, not of works. Uh, What is a sure way not to make it to heaven? And that is try to work your way to heaven. And the the apostle, inspired by the Spirit of God, making it very clear and simple to me in a few short verses, putting the rest in a false man-made or religious belief that by your efforts that you can be saved. Let's say when Christmas rolls around that somebody very wealthy, for example, Bill Gates they call you up and they say, you know, uh, he says to you, I want to be your friend and, and I got a gift for you. And he, he comes and he meets you and, and desires to, to have friendship with you. And he says, here's a gift. I'm going to, you know, give you this box and in it are a set of keys to a huge mansion, you know, beautiful mansion out in the countryside. Got a trout stream that's running through it and he got might as well hey it's my example <clears throat> and and you know there's four car garage with four luxury cars and and servants and all of this and and you might be thinking well that's kind of a silly example to be giving a, a kind of a, a extreme example but here's reality for us to think about and that is multiply that by infinity that jesus the Creator of the Universe, that the Father wants relationship with you, and it's all possible through Jesus Christ and what He has done for us, and the invitation has come that He desires to save us and he desires to forgive us and have great relationship intimate relationship with us and what awaits us in the heavenlies the inheritance of God that we read about the spiritual blessings in chapter 1 that eternal inheritance that are ours for all eternity so the basics of our salvation is grace by means of faith God's salvation doesn't have its source in man it's not of yourself but rather the source is God it is a gift of God, which you can never earn. You see all other religious systems that are out there. You go and you look at Islam, Buddhism, you know, Hinduism, any other religious system. Also, one of the reoccurring themes of the cults that even present Jesus, but they present it in a way that it's a different Jesus of the Bible. Every single one of them will present salvation in a way that this is what you have to do to get to heaven. This is what you have to do to earn God's favor. This is what you have to do to to earn salvation. And as we know that in the world, the world's view and Satan's deception to many people is, if that I am good enough, then I'll make it to heaven. How many people do you know that they think that they're going to go to heaven because of their good works? My good works outweigh my bad works. Matter of fact, I bet that if you stood outside of Some churches, even in Greeley, as people are coming out that you, if you were to ask them, hey, if you were to face God today and he asked you, why sh- should I let you into heaven? You get all kinds of answers. Well, I belong to this church. I was baptized in this church. I was confirmed in this church. I gave to this church. Or I was a a good person, a good husband, good wife, good father, good mother. You you can get all kinds of different answers. And they don't understand this wonderful truth that is being declared to us here in Ephesians chapter 2 that our salvation is not based on what I do. It's based on what he did. What he did alone on the cross at Calvary. And to believe that this is what I have to do to earn salvation, listen, when anybody comes along and says that you have to do this, that's what Paul was confronting the Galatian churches about, that those Judaizers that came in and said, that's all fine and dandy that you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you have to be circumcised. And there are those today that will come along, that's all fine and dandy that you believe in Jesus for salvation, but you have to be baptized. But you have to observe the Sabbath. But you have to belong to our church. But this is what you have to do to earn salvation. And it ends up being works and grace rather than grace alone. And that kind of thinking that you have to work for salvation or do some kind of act for salvation is contrary to what the truth of God's word clearly declares here. By grace, that's the source. Through faith, that's the means you have been saved. And just so that we're clear on it, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And none of us will be able to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, you owe me salvation And boast about your salvation. Look what I did to earn salvation, Lord. What we are going to do is we're going to marvel at his grace. It is the Lord that has rescued us. It is the Lord that has made us alive. It is Jesus that made it possible by going to the cross and dying for you and for me because of his great love for us. Salvation is found in him. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. It is not, I will work for my salvation, and Lord, now you owe me the wages that I deserve, and that is heaven. It is not God's offer of a product, and we give him a price, and I'll buy my salvation. And it is not certainly, I will match my works next to the backdrop of the cross. Paul writes, lest anyone should boast. And when he was writing to those Galatian believers, when he wraps up his letter, he says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We won't boast in what we have done. We won't be boasting in what we've earned. And we cannot take our works and put it and line it up in light of the cross and what he has done for us as he would cry out, it is finished. I've done the work of what Jesus was saying. I've paid the price. I have finished the work for your salvation and forgiveness of sin. It is grace. Grace is not manufactured by us. We don't receive grace by our own merit. Merit is something that speaks of a reward based on some act. Merit is based on that which is earned or deserved. Grace is that undeserved favor of God. We are saved by grace. We are saved through faith. Now some of us, we grew up with a religious background that when people came and asked us you know what faith are you kind of the question seemed like to imply that faith was a set of religious or philosophical principles well i'm of this denomination i'm of this faith i'm of this religion and and that's kind of how we thought of it that that our faith was based on some kind of religious system but now we understand don't we that our faith is in him i trust him jesus christ who he is and what he did for me in John chapter 8, the religious leaders were having a confrontation with Jesus. They were troubled because of Jesus' claim that he was sent by the Father. He was from above. And Jesus would say to them in verse 23 of the chapter that if you do not believe that I am he, then you will die in your sins. And the religious leaders, their response was, Who are you? Who are you? Where do you get your authority? It really is important to answer that question. Having a saving faith isn't just about being sincere. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right unto a man that leads to destruction. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. And there are many that are sincerely wrong about who Jesus is, what he has provided for us on the cross, about his resurrection. I remember when I was young and and a Christian, and when I was You know, a long time ago, when I was in my 20s, and and um, you know going to church and hearing of others that were going to, you know, these uh, theological, you know, seminaries and uh, involved in theological graduate programs, and these guys were really smart, and they were thinkers, and they were philosophers, but when they would come back, so oftentimes they were taken away from the truth. They began to deny who Jesus really is. They didn't believe on the name of Jesus for salvation, that he is our only salvation. They stopped trusting in him. They didn't know him personally. They were saved by his grace through faith in him. And you see, that's what the world is going to try to and the enemy to get us to believe, that, oh, there's other means of salvation. Don't just trust in Jesus. Just be a good person. Salvation is a gift from God. God rescued us from our dead spiritual state. It is not works that anyone should boast. God receives the glory for our salvation, and we don't take credit for it. Book of Judges, chapter 6. Many of you know the story. Minionites came into the land of Israel. And the children of Israel that were under oppression of the Minionites. They had a new secret weapon, and that was the camel. They brought their camels in. And they would come in at harvest time, and they would take the crops, steal the crops. And and the people were so scared of the Midianites that they left their cities, their homes, and headed to the hills. And they were hiding in the hills. And and they were hiding their food from the Midianites who would, you know, take the food and pack it on the camels and take it back to Midian and, and to the areas of the desert where they lived. It says the Midianites covered the land of Israel like grasshoppers And then all of a sudden, after seven years of that, there was a man named Gideon that was in a cave threshing wheat. When the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Gideon, mighty man of valor, I'm going to use you to free the people of Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon looked around and he said, who, me? You have the wrong address. Because I am from a tribe that's the least of all the tribes of Israel. My family is the least in our tribe. And I'm the least in my family. I'm the least likely to free the children of Israel from the mighty Midianites. But God began to minister to him and work through him. Gideon, you need to blow the trumpet for battle. And 32,000 men came out of the hills to gather to face 135,000 Mennonites. They would be outnumbered four to one. And God said to Gideon, You got too many men. I know their hearts that when I give you victory, they're going to boast in that victory, boast in themselves. So you go and tell whoever is afraid to go on home. And so that's what Gideon did. And 22,000 picked up their stuff and headed back to the hills. So that left 10,000. It was 10,000 against 135,000 Midianites, outnumbered 13 and a half to one. And God said, Not too many guys, Gideon, they'll boast. In the victory, I know their hearts. So you tell those 10,000 men to go down to the brook. And whoever gets on their hands and feet and puts their face in the water and drinks, you send them home. The ones that cup their hands and bring it up to their mouths, that's going to be your army. And it was only 300 that cupped the water and brought it to their mouths. And the Lord said, that's your army, Gideon. And you're going to go against 135,000 Midianites, and you know the story. We don't have time to go into details. But they blew the trumpet, and the Midianites got confused, and they turned on each other, and they were wiped out and defeated because God gave them the victory, victory, and they knew that, and God got the glory. They knew it was from God. They couldn't glory in themselves. And just as God had done a wonderful thing for Gideon and the children of Israel, he has done a wonderful, even more greater thing for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, and that is we have forgiveness and eternal life, and we can't boast in ourselves. God would declare in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another. And there is a tendency in our sinful, fleshly nature that we want to boast We want to magnify ourselves. God knows that is a part of our nature. And so he has placed salvation outside of our capacity or ability to achieve. He's made salvation on the basis of his grace. Not me. Our boasting is not in ourselves. It's in the Lord and what he has done. in the gift he has given by his grace. So are we clear on that? We are saved not by works, but... We are saved for good works, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Many of you know that the Greek word for workmanship is poema. It's where we get our English word poem. You are God's workmanship. You are God's poem. A poem is a thing of grace, a a thing of beauty. He wants our lives to be a thing of grace and beauty as he works in us and through us. It's also in the original language a word used to describe a a work of art, a masterpiece. So a poet will seek to create himself in a special way in beautiful terms. Uh, An artist will express himself in the piece of art or masterpiece that they create. God is seeking to express himself and your life becomes that expression as God works in you. You are his poem. His masterpiece as he works in your life. When Jesus was confronting those religious leaders in John's gospel, he said, I do no works apart from my Father, but I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I do do nothing of myself, only what the Father would have me to do. And, of course, everything that Jesus did, he was doing the work of the Father. He was in the perfect and complete will of the Father. He was in complete harmony with the Father. He was the perfect expression and image of the Father. So God has made us alive. When we were spiritually dead in a sad state, that is a dead state, God rescued us by his grace and love. He rescued us from the wrath of God. He's given us eternal life. We are saved by God, not by our works. We are saved so that we can be His workmanship, His poem, His masterpiece. That is an expression of God. We are His workmanship, not our own workmanship. One of the works, certainly, that God is doing in all of us and desires to do is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ to where we become more like Jesus, doing the works of Christ that he would have us to do, not just seeking to do our own works. But in our lives, realize this, that God declares we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It is a work that, you know, in our lives that only God can do. And he's doing that work in us, and we need to understand that. Paul, when he wrote the other prison epistle, one of them, that is the book of Philippians, he would write in that book, In chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasures. So I have come to learn, as God's word is declared to me, that I am his workmanship. It is God that works in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasures, his work. You see, that's important for me to understand. Because when I first got saved, when I first wanted to serve the Lord, when I first even got into ministry, I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this work for you. I'm going to do this thing. I have this vision. I'm really going to show you, Lord, that I'm really serious about you. And I'm really going to impress you, Lord. And I'm going to work hard for you. And what happened is it became difficult. The thing that I was doing for the Lord, I thought that this is a good idea. It wasn't working out. And I got tired. Things weren't going the way that I thought they should have gone. And I would pray, Lord, why isn't it working out? I'm not getting anywhere. And it took some maturing and learning God's word that I was trying to do things that he hadn't called me to do. And I've learned and I continue to learn and realize that I am his workmanship. In other words, he does the work in me. He has a plan for me, a purpose for me. I need to let him do it and let him work it out in me. That means, Lord, I just submit to you. Delight yourself in the Lord. Remember, Wednesday night, uh, study in Psalms, as David wrote, that delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You enjoy the Lord. You know him. You continue to know the word. Continue to listen to the still, small voice of the Lord. Trust him and seek him, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll show you what he wants to do in your life. And he doesn't always show us at once. He doesn't say, okay, Jeff, here's the one-year plan. Here's the five-year plan. Here's the 10-year plan. He doesn't do that. It's moment by moment, day by day. Jeff, you seek me today. Come back and see me tomorrow. And I'm going to guide you and lead you tomorrow. And I'm doing the work, and I'm going to continue to work. The good works that God has for us, notice again in verse 10, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Understand that the Lord will prepare you and me for the work that he wants to do in us, and then he's going to work through us. In the book of Leviticus, you see this model all throughout the scriptures. In the book of Leviticus, it's a book that would show the priests and the Levites how to serve and, and obey and, and worship a holy God. And in chapter 8 of the book of Leviticus, the priests were prepared for ministry anointed with oil, washed in water, you know, in the tabernacle, all these different things that we can make application, that we need to be washed with the water of the word, we need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, we need to be in that place where we're learning of the Lord, and all that was taking place, and then they were presented for ministry. And as you look at those that God used in a powerful way, there was a time where God was preparing them for what he had for them. You look at Moses, 40 years, 40 years Moses was on the backside of the desert herding sheep, not even his own sheep, his father-in-law's sheep, and getting Egypt out of Moses for 40 years. And then the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to use you to free the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, said, Lord, who am I? Who am I to go? You're going to go, Moses. We know that it was Joshua that was the assistant to Moses for 40 years out there in the wilderness. All that time out there in that dry, hot, barren place. And then Moses would say, Joshua, the Lord has chosen you. I'm not going to go into the promised land. But you're going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And Joshua did, and they had great victory. David, where was he when Jesse was visited by Samuel the prophet to anoint the new king of Israel? He was out with the sheep. And we know that David, after he was anointed, was in the wilderness running from Saul who was trying to kill him as David was learning to trust in God. We've even talked about Paul the apostle, that after his conversion... Did he start going to the Gentiles? Did he immediately begin his missionary journeys? No, he went to Arabia for a couple of years, and then he was sent off to Tarsus by the apostles. They held him out at arm's length. And what was Paul during, doing during that time? God was preparing him to go to the Gentiles. Paul, you've lost your religious status. You've lost your, you know, your position in in Judaism. You've got to learn to make tents, so it'll be used so you can make a living when you go into those cities to be able to support yourself. And God was working through Paul to get him to go to the Gentiles for about 10 years. And then here comes Barnabas knocking on his door or his tent flap and said, hey, revival's broken out in Antioch. Paul, come and teach these Gentiles. There is always preparation before there's presentation. And whatever work that God, he has for you that he's going to do that work because you are his workmanship. He'll prepare you for that work that he wants to do in you and he will complete that work. You know, I look back and when God was working in my life, I remember those times. Those times where I felt alone, those times where I thought, Lord, is anything happening? But he was teaching me about commitment. He was teaching me about being content. He was teaching me about a servant's heart. He's still teaching me those things. And when I first started ministry, it wasn't, ta-da, here I am. It was, okay, here's, you know, uh, uh, a broom. And, and here's, you know, some things so you can go clean the bathroom. And that's what I did. To just serve in any way, to go run errands. I remember just, you know, sweeping the sidewalk and being there and being available and coming in and turn on the lights and just learning to be a servant and God's still preparing me for what he has for me in my ministry that he wants to do yet tomorrow in the days ahead. This verse, verse 10, brings such comfort to me and joy in knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for me, and he does for you, and he's going to work in us, and he's going to be, as I said, as Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 promises, that be certain of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete in the day of Christ Jesus. He will complete that work, and the work that you're doing is important to God. It isn't glorious in the church standard, or in the world standard. It isn't going to be noticed by the world, but God sees it, and it's important to him. God has prepared that work beforehand that we should walk in it. And the comfort that this verse brings to me is I don't have to think, okay, God, I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to get busy and come up with, with, uh, you know, some kind of, a strategy or planning session, um, but Lord, I can just yield to you and be sensitive to what you want to do and be content where you have me and allow you to continue working in me because I'm your poem, I'm your masterpiece. The world doesn't see it that way, but God does. And I think as Christians, we need to get away from the world's views and definitions of success and We're not all called to be, you know, in the limelight. We're called to be where God has us and has a plan and purpose for you and only for you that you can do. And for you, it might be teaching the kids. It might be at home raising your kids, ministering to them right now. It's a great ministry. Ministering out in the community somewhere. And as we see that this verse is not only true for us individually, But this verse is true for us corporately. God knew before the foundation of the world that we would be a church, Calvary Chapel Greeley. And he has and will continue to prepare us for the work that he wants to continue to do through us. And again, that brings great comfort and causes me to relax. You know, I think some of the things that can be most discouraging is when I get those church growth, you know, magazines that come in the mail every week. And this is what you have to do to get your church to grow. And a lot of guys get into that. Well, you got to have this, you know, the light's just right. And you got to have this going on. You got to speak in this way. And you got to wear these clothes. And you got to. And after about 10 years, what your church is, is what it is. And I don't believe that for a minute. I think the best is yet to come. I believe God's just getting started with us. I think He wants to do so much. But whatever He has for us, we can just yield to Him and let Him do what He wants to do. And we don't have to stress or strain or we don't have to be upset. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we know that we are His workmanship, not that work saves us, it's grace through faith, it is a gift. But I get to do his work for his glory. And I just want to encourage you that to serve him with your life that he has for you, that he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. We'll see that in chapter 3. And it's a great joy to just be in that place of saying, Lord, I'm your poem, I'm your workmanship, and you're going to work, and you're going to get the glory, not myself. That I should walk in them, not sprint. Seeing a lot of people get excited and they sprint and then they end up getting tired and they quit. Doesn't mean fall over, it means I just walk day by day with you. And as I do, you're gonna do marvelous work because you are faithful, Lord, and because you're working and not only saving me, but working through me. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this passage, and I pray that it would be an encouragement to all of us. That, Lord, that it's you. It's Everything's found in you. Salvation, forgiveness, and, Lord, you working in our lives. And so may we just rejoice in that. We don't have to strain or struggle or try to earn. or. But, Lord, just to listen to you and walk close with you, abide with you. And, Father, I do want to pray if there's anyone here. Maybe there's somebody here in, in the coffee shop listening live stream or or. Here in the sanctuary, that maybe you grew up going to church thinking that because you listened to Bible study or went to church, you're saved or you're a good person. Whatever the case may be, salvation comes by putting your faith and trust in him alone. So if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you know the gospel message that we're all sinners. That we are dead in our sins and trespasses, but Jesus has made us alive. Provided life to you as you come in faith to receive his grace, to just acknowledge your need for for forgiveness because you're a sinner, and to turn direction, repent, and turn to Jesus and surrender your life to him. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never done that, will you do that right now? The invitation is given to you. Jesus says, Come and believe in him for salvation. And you can pray right where you're sitting, sincerely in your heart, that Jesus, I come. I come as a sinner. And I come and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. You died on Calvary's cross for my sins. You were put into a tomb. You're alive. You rose again because I know you're alive, because you're knocking on the door of my heart. And I open my heart to you. I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior, to sit upon the throne of my life, the throne of my heart, I surrender to you and I thank you for saving me and forgiving me. And help me now to be your palm, your workmanship as you work in my life. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer afterwards, Pastor John's going to be up front. Come and tell him at the end of the service that you made that decision for him. And as you do, I, I pray that, um, that you would just um, just continue to look to him for everything. And Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy given to us. And my prayer is this, is that you would help us just to trust and rest in your promises, and to walk with you day by day, to be your masterpiece, your poem, created for good works that we may be a light to others and to give glory to you and to be a light in this dark world. I thank you for this time. I pray that you bless everyone here now as we go our way, as we go out of this place. Fill us with your love. May we be a light to others. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything at all, please be praying. We do have... um, isaiah and rachel i was just thinking of this and harley they're coming back from costa rica this week so let's be praying for them that they have a safe trip and then also the Leechmans have made it to the philippines they'll be coming back the banawitz are in estonia they'll be coming back this week so be praying for those who are overseas and out in the mission field and and traveling and we're excited to hear the report this week so father we do ask that you just bring them back safely to us bless them and and lord we don't want to